Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Reading today is from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4 to 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill you to my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me, if you seek me with all your heart. I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection. Let's pray together. Gracious God, in the silence and reflection of this moment, in the midst of all the voices that swirl around us, voices of pressure, voices of fear, voices of confusion or frustration, Voices of giving up or of immersing ourselves in a world of entertainment and addiction. Voices of boredom. As we have the voices of belief and trust and faith in anticipating what you might say or do in our lives. As we have the voices of cynicism, skepticism, despair, doubt. 
All of these voices compete for our attention. All of them drive us in so many different directions, and so we are scattered and fractured and exhausted. And so help us to see right now with clarity, with singularity of purpose, that you see us in all our complexity and contradiction, in all our fracturedness and our fear. You see us in all the ways we're pulling it together, in all the ways we feel like we're coming undone, and you know us deeper than we know ourselves. And your response when you look at the mess of our lives or the brokenness of this world is not to stand far off and just watch, but rather to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so now we pray that you would give us ears to hear your voice. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you would teach us in a way that our lives would be transformed. And then you would empower us, encourage us, embolden us, send us out to be agents of your renewal wherever we go. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yesterday I had the joy of waking up super early and going swimming in the ocean. Usually I do that on a weekday, so then I chose to give up my Saturday morning as well. I did it because... This group that I swim with had their 15th annual swim tour where you go down the coast of San Diego for a mile or two in the water. And as we started in La Jolla and worked our way south, we formed up together, which I guess is a Navy SEAL term because I was with a bunch of retired Navy SEALs and they said to form up, so I did that. I was glad no one was shooting at us. And I just figured if I stay close to them, I'll be okay. So they're all heading in. They said, that, you know, there's the street, there's the thing, there's the landmark. You want to swim toward that. And one person in our group said, you know, I want to go a little further south. Do you want to go with me, Matt? And I said, no, actually, I'd like to go in and have brunch. And I just turned around, and they started swimming away. I thought, I, want to, I do want to go swim further. So I did. And we swam, and we made it in, and it was great. So just... I don't know if you caught that, but what I'm trying to tell you is I swam a little farther than my Navy SEAL friends. That's, that's the whole point of that. So we walked back along the beach as they, as they were landing where they were supposed to come in. Except the waves over a period of time had eroded a segment of the sand beneath, and so a flash rip current had developed, and there were some pretty heavy big rocks, like boulder rocks, that had been moved under the water with the weight and the pressure and the current and the power of the ocean. And these experienced seasoned swimmers who have just swum two miles were getting washed around and turned around. Eventually they made it out fine and we greeted them and we all had coffee and brunch together, but it struck me that these people have been swimming in this water for longer than I've been alive and it can still surprise them. As they say, you never step into the same river twice, you also never step into the same ocean twice because it is always changing. And as I read the scripture for today and I studied it and I meditated on it, it struck me that scripture is very much the same way. You never step into the same scripture twice, not because the scriptures change, not because the word of God changes, but because you change. Life changes. The world changes. Last time this church studied the scripture was three years ago as we were laying the foundation for what it means to be a church in the city. No one had pandemic on their radar at the time as no one had the pandemic on their radar two years ago. 
But now here we are. And so we hear exile. The definition of exile is to be forcibly removed from your homeland. To not be able to live in a place of comfort and security. A place where you know where everything is. You know all the people. To live outside your comfort zone. And now we feel like we're in the exile of pandemic. Not knowing when you get to return to work. Or work as you once knew it. Or a job that has evaporated or dried up. Not knowing what your housing situation is going to look like. As a pastor, I counsel people who both are renting and not sure of how their housing situation is going to work out. And I counsel people who own their homes and have renters and they're not sure how their situation is going to work out. But whether you're the landlord or the tenant, there's confusion. There's exile. There's fear. There's insecurity. I don't have to tell you this. You know this. What does the scripture have to say about the big questions you're asking right now? How do you live in a season of life that doesn't feel like home without coming undone, without becoming bitter or giving up, but rather becoming resilient, resourced, energetic, hopeful, more connected? The key is in Jeremiah 29. This is one of the foundational texts for this church. But we also feel like exiles in so many other ways, just living in a diverse, pluralistic society. So a society where there are all sorts of different opinions, backgrounds, ethnicities, languages, worldviews, religions, faiths, you name it, different everything. And no one can agree on which one's right because we've relativized everything and said, you can have your truth and I can have my truth. And so now everyone in some way, by and large, feels like an exile. I'll give you some examples. Liberals feel like this country is becoming so conservative that they're pulling their hair out. And conservatives feel like this country is becoming so liberal that they're pulling their hair out. But whether you're liberal or conservative, you feel like an exile. Or geographically, you know, I was born and raised here. Friends who I went to high school with and grade school with are moving out of our city because they can't afford the cost of living and they're going elsewhere. They're saying, I don't even feel at home in my homeland. And people who immigrate to our city, whether from another country, across the border, or for just from another state, they say, well, I don't feel like this is my city or my home either. So whether you've been here as long as you've been alive or you're newly arrived, this doesn't feel like home to you. So again, a question for us is, how do you live in a diverse, pluralistic city that may not be hospitable to your particular worldview or your views, that may be challenging, that may force you to put up with or interact with people who are far different than you and possibly even hostile to you without becoming bitter, without giving up, without shutting down and just becoming isolated? And the answer comes in Jeremiah 29. So in the time we have together, let's look at the wrong ways to relate to the city, God's way of relating to the city, and then how you get the power to live that out. First, the wrong ways to relate to the city. Now, remember, this is a letter that was written from the prophet Jeremiah. And again, the prophet's job was not particularly to tell the future. The prophet's job was to deliver a message from God to God's people. Their job was to testify or tell the truth or witness to what God was saying to the community of faith. And Jeremiah is writing to these exiles who were taken from Israel forcibly 
by Babylon, that great power of Babylon in the 6th century B.C. And they were resettled in this city where the inhabitants had blood on their hands. I mean, where the violence was intense. Where there was no hospitality. There was no care. And there are two wrong agendas that were warned against in moving into a city where you feel like you're in exile. Or moving into a season of life when you feel like you're in exile. First is the Babylonian agenda. Now, the Babylonians were experts at taking a population and subjugating them and destroying them. And they knew, by and large, there were three ways to do it. The first one is you expel them. You push them out. You push them to the margins. The problem is if you expel them, they come back madder than ever before. The second is, you don't expel them, you oppress them. You don't push them out, you push them down. You give them menial jobs, menial labor, you enslave them, you put them in chains. But the problem is, if you push them down, they come up madder than they've ever been before with an insurrection or an uprising. So the Babylonians were smarter than that. And they said, we're not going to push them out, we're not going to push them down, we're going to assimilate them. We're going to bring them into the very center of the city and say, you can be with us. You can live with us. You can have jobs and access to finances and cuisine and arts and culture as long as you become just like us. As long as you adopt our worldview. As long as you adopt our way of life. And they knew that within two or three generations, this entire population would lose their identity and worldview and values and would cease to exist because they'd become Babylonians. Very smart. You become just like us, but you lose all your values. You lose your identity. See, assimilation is coming to the city and saying, I want to use it for all that it has to offer me. I didn't come to give, I came to take. I didn't come to contribute, I came to receive. I'm going to take everything, and in fact, I'm going to allow the vision and the values of the city, we'll talk about that in a bit, to become mine. It'll transform you into losing your own vision and values. You lose your distinctiveness, your identity, and there's no transformation or renewal for you. The question is, are you aware of the drive toward assimilation in your own life? Are you aware of the very ways that because of the city you live in, the job that you have, the social circles that you traffic in, that you're actually being shaped and formed? Because you are being shaped and formed. The question is, are you aware of it? And what happens to a church that just gets assimilated into a culture or a city? It becomes a church where everyone is generally entertained, where this church can use the city as a playground for all that it has to offer, but nothing's really transformed. As Jesus would say in Matthew 5, you lose your salt and light properties to preserve and to care for the city around you. So he says, beware of assimilation. But there's another way, another agenda that we're warned against. Tribalism. See, in verse 8, he, the prophet says, don't listen to the prophets and diviners who are among you to deceive you, and don't listen to the dreams that they dream. 
And we go back one chapter earlier to one of these false prophets or diviners named Hananiah. And Hananiah said, we know you're in exile. We know you're not comfortable. We know that you're concerned and you're scared and you're worried and you're unstable. We know that you're in a foreign land. So here's what you're going to, God's going to come in two years and take care of this evil Babylonian empire. Whether it was through an invasion or an earthquake or other natural disaster, God's going to set you free in two years. So what was Israel's job in that scenario? was to wait, do nothing, but certainly don't go into the city. Don't interact with it. Stay out in their own little ethnic community that they made on the Chabar Canal, where at least people spoke their language, ate their food, thought like them, had the same vision and values as they did. And sure, they'll deal with the city. They'll deal with the city if it helps them to increase their own family or their own resources or their own tribe. They'll deal with the city to exploit it or to use it, all the while giving nothing to it. Outside, they're smiling. Oh, this is just fine. I love living here. Inside, they're disdaining the city and putting everybody down who thinks differently than them, who acts differently than them. They huddle up as a fortress to protect themselves. What happens when a community of faith begins to adopt a tribalistic interaction with the city? It becomes a fortress. Maybe you've seen churches like this where the myth is that is a big, bad, evil city out there and you have to hold on to your own self, your own identity. And so the church begins to build walls and throw stones at that city over there, those people over there, whoever they may be. And in those walls, your soul erodes. And there's no transformation. And God says... There's a different way to relate to the city. God gives a different way forward altogether. He says, seek the welfare of that city to which I've sent you. In fact, that word welfare that's used so many times in verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you find your welfare. And that word welfare is the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is often translated into English as the word peace, which the English connotation does not capture the richness of it. Because when you and I hear the word peace, we think about the ending of hostilities, no more war. Or we think of peace as a common, tranquil state of being for your own personal life. Sure, it includes those two things, but it's far more than that. It's the original vision of God's flourishing for all creation. Think about that. God's original vision for flourishing of all creation. We see this in the opening pages of scripture before the great rebellion and the fall where humans are in right relationship with God, with ourselves, with one another, and with the created order. And as things have become unraveled and undone, God constantly is pointing a vision of the future, which which consummates in Revelation 21, when it says, and then there was a new city, a new heavens and a new earth. And guess what? God dwells among the people, and the people dwell with God. The people know who they are, fully loved and fully known in the presence of God. It says every people of every language and ethnicity, people of different backgrounds, coming together as family. And the whole earth rejoices. 
The trees and the rocks clap their hands in a great symphony of applause because he's made all things new. That is shalom. That's welfare. So he says, pray for your city that that kind of welfare, that kind of shalom would take place, and then put your feet into action according to your prayers. Sure, pray for your friends and family and the people that have a lot in common with you. Of course, also pray for your enemies. Pray for your own particular political cause, because it does not make you apolitical at all. But then you also pray for understanding to see other people's point of view. It makes you able to disagree with people without demonizing them. It makes you able to be hospitable to people who think or believe differently than you. He says there's a whole other way. Develop faithful presence in your neighborhood and in your city. There are lots of ways to do this, but God in Jeremiah 29 verses 5, 6, and 7 gives some particular ways to do that. He says, build houses, plant gardens, raise families, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Let's unpack that really quickly. Build houses. If you're just passing through, you don't build a house. You rent, you know, if you, you, you bring a tent. So part of building houses means to say, I'm going to commit to being in this place. I'm not just passing through. I'm not just using it as I, as I come through. I'm actually committing to the welfare of this place. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be a property owner or a real estate owner. But it means to have an attitude of someone who doesn't plan to abandon ship as soon as things get bad, but rather to say, for the time I'm here, I'm going to be as good of news to this place as I can, and I'm going to stay here as long as I can to do that, to actually see something beautiful grow. It means you choose to know your neighbors, to know your neighborhood. If you know that you're only staying on your block for one week, if you rent an Airbnb in another neighborhood or, or another city for a week, you don't go all that out of your way to meet the neighbors. You're leaving in a week. But look up and down your street or up and down your building and go, what if I was here for the rest of my life? How would that change the way that I seek to know my neighbors, to care for them, to invest in them? Build houses. Have the long view. Commit. Put down roots. And then he says, plant gardens. I love that because when you, Florence and, ben, and Benjamin and our other kids have cultivated a beautiful garden at our house. And I love that the name, the, the category of fruits and vegetables that are grown in that garden, what are they? They're produce. Plant gardens. In other words, don't come into the city as a consumer. Come into it as a producer. Think about what you have to offer to your particular community your particular workplace, your particular social circle, this particular neighborhood right here. And think of your life as a garden that actually gives off fruit and vegetables that can give nourishment to others around you. What can you offer? Whether you're in technology or law, whether you're a designer or you're in healthcare, education or construction, raising children at home, in the military, in real estate or hospitality. Think about the particular nuances of your job and what it would mean if you had a sign in the front of your mind as you're always looking at your job to think, I have this job not just to get, 
but to give. Build houses, plant gardens, blend your families together. See, this is the last thing anybody would have wanted to do when they're being oppressed or when they're being expelled, when they're adopting a tribalistic worldview that says it's us and them. And God says, actually, no, it's all we. In fact, I want you to become family with these people. Mix it up, okay? Maybe this is ancient Near Eastern for mix it up. Get involved. Give your sons and daughters in marriage. In other words, don't stand far off from the other. Engage with them. Interact with them. Pursue friendships with people that you would otherwise not have much in common. And as you do that, don't lose your distinctiveness of who you are and forget who you are, but rather use your distinctiveness to serve others. What does Renew Church look like as we develop our distinctive presence in the city? I love that we've already started. In the thousands of ways that you organically serve and care for your neighbors, in the organized ways that we bring together Know Your Neighbor, as we care for neighbors in need on our street, as we weave together the fabric of a neighborhood where people walk past each other and talk past each other and actually bring people together around the same table of joy, as we strive to be a church that exists not just for the good of ourselves. St. Augustine wrote the book, City of God. And really, the whole book is the tale of two cities. He juxtaposes what he calls the city of God and the city of man. What the Psalms and the prophet Isaiah would, would probably articulate as the lofty city is the city of man, built on pride, built on me first. What can this place do for me? Versus the heavenly city, which is the city of God. And it talks about how the lofty city that's built on pride leads to exhaustion and oppression. It leads to exhaustion because you are always climbing, always striving, always running, and it's exhausting. It also leads to oppression because if you're stepping as high as you can and all that matters is yourself, then you will easily step on others, whether you know it or not. But it juxtaposes this other vision, this heavenly city, a city that is built not on pride, but on peace. Not merely on human effort and what you can do for yourself, but on God's grace. Not on exhaustion, but joy. And in the midst of all that, you begin to know who you truly are. It's not assimilation or tribalism. It's building houses. It's planting gardens. It's mixing it up with the people of that land. And part of the point is that every city is the tale of two cities. Every city is the lofty city and the heavenly city. And so the community of faith when we begin to orient ourselves around this vision of praying for the city's welfare and working on its behalf for when it thrives, we will thrive, the church then becomes an alternative city within the city. 
it becomes show and tell with the gospel, revealing to this world what it looks like when God's renewing all things. Now, someone says, oh, please, Matt, I've seen the church, I've been part of the church, I know Christians, that if they are, if they are going to be show and tell for the gospel, no thanks, I don't want any of that. And I say, I hear you and I get that. But that's part of the point. That God meets us in our brokenness, uses us with our weakness to transform not only the world, but our lives at the same time. This is why I always cheer when chemo tells us on Friday night, you know, chemo plays percussion here every Sunday. Chemo tells us on Friday night I'm playing at this music event downtown. Gabby tells us on Saturday night I'm playing at this music event downtown. And the arts and creativity and music are not just to build up something beautiful here on Sunday morning so we can worship God together. Of course it's that, but it's a whole lot more. It's not just come into the church, it's going out into the city to care for the artistic community of the city, to care for artists of the city, to add to the beauty of the city whether or not those people ever become part of a new church. We pray for the welfare of the city and then we put our feet into action of those prayers. Now how do we do this? We immerse ourselves in the gospel of God's grace. As I say often, don't try this without the gospel because you will become exhausted and frustrated. A Christian is invited in the midst of exile, whether it's Babylon because of the season of life that you're in or it's exile because of the diverse pluralistic society that you're wrestling with, you're invited to look at the true king the true king of Babylon and the true king of the world. Jesus Christ, whose crown was a crown of thorns, who had all power and authority and used it not to crush or to condemn, but to lift us all up, who, when we thought and believed very differently than he did, died for us, moved toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love. Jesus, the true king, who's faithful to his promises of putting all things that are broken to rights. So when you serve this king, you're not pushed out. You're not pushed down. You're actually brought into a new kingdom and a new family and a new identity altogether. And that kingdom, the banner over your life, your citizenship is beloved child of God. In other words, to be a Christian means to know who you are. That he would never leave you or forsake you. That when God looks at you, he smiles and he sings over you. When you can't forgive yourself, you say, God's already sent his only son to die for me, to rise again from the dead for me. When you see huge obstacles in your way, you say, if God can conquer death, God could be with me through this. And so you know who you are, and you can move out into this wonderfully diverse, beautiful and broken, cosmopolitan and complex city. And you don't need to shake it by the shoulders so that it can make up for what's lacking in your life. You don't need to use it like a playground. You don't need to disdain it or throw stones at it out of fear. You can rather say, I want to embrace this world and love it as God has loved me.
You don't need to distance yourself. You don't need to disdain others. You can be patient with the process because growth and renewal take time. Planting gardens takes time. This church is a church plant. I love that that's one of the analogies people talk about for church startups. Because you know that if you've ever planted something from a seed, the first thing you do is you put the seed in the ground, you water it, and you hope and pray that something beautiful is taking place under the soil, though you can't see it yet. And you wait, and you watch, and you cultivate it. And then there's that little first shoot that comes up. And then that shoot grows. And it takes a while, but it gets stronger. And as it gets stronger, it provides fruit and shade and fresh oxygen. I love that we get to be a part of a church plant together. The very first shoots are just starting to come out of the ground, and it's a beautiful plant. It's a plant for the good of this neighborhood, for the good of this world. It's also a plant that's for the good of your own life, so that you're transformed as you jump in to God's mission of renewal. As Christ has given himself for us, we give ourselves to our neighbors, to our city, and to our world. And in a moment, we'll be invited to come to this table. As we are taken, blessed, broken, and given to this world, God does not only say, pour yourself out. He constantly says, and I will fill you up. He doesn't send us on busy work and say, come back and report to me later. He says, I will go with you. I'm already at work in this world. So take heart. When you're tempted to fold inward because your particular geographical location feels like exile, or because this pandemic season of your life feels like exile, and you're tempted to only take care of yourself and batten down the hatches and turn inward. He says, I'm there with you. Engage. Look up, look out, move forward, and meet me in the midst of this great city to which I've called you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray now that you would convince us that you're with us in the midst of what feels like exile, out of our comfort zone, out of the norm, more confusion, more frustration, but also more hope and more joy. And I pray that you'd meet us in this place. That you'd fill us with your spirit. As we come to this table, that you'd literally give us your own body and life to nourish us for the journey to which you've called us. Help us to engage the city for the long haul, wherever we are, whether it's the people in this room gathered right now physically, people joining online throughout the country and indeed throughout the world. Each of us has a community to which we are not coincidentally placed, but to which we're called. And so help us to live into that calling and give us joy and grace as we do. We pray in your name. Amen.